Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs of the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Penny Kakabebe. Penny is a citizen of the White Earth Reservation. She is White Earth Ojibwe, first-generation descendant. A lifelong resident of Becker County, Minnesota, Penny has always lived on or adjacent to the White Earth Reservation in northwestern Minnesota. This is where she gathers traditional foods, meshkeke medicine plants, as well as materials for making quill boxes. In 2014, she achieved the tremendous goal to learn quill work and quill box construction from renowned Ojibwe artist Melvin Losh. Today, Penny makes what she calls slow art, the durable quill boxes painstakingly produced through uncountable hours and intense attention to detail. She's been told that her work demonstrates an ethereal quality, allowing one to hold sacred beauty of the natural world in the palm of their hand. Birch bark backestry, ribbon and applicate beadwork bags, beaded earrings and applicate mural blankets round out her creative work for ceremonial gifting. At all times, Penny's commitment to the thriving and vibrant lives of her community and relatives push her to learn and pass these teachings on. So, let's jump into this conversation with Penny. Penny, hi. Thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. It's so great to have you with us. Thank you, Joe. Uh, could you tell us about yourself, um, uh, about your background and where you're from? If you could introduce yourself, please. Yes. Um... Wabashki Benesik, Indigenous Cause, Ajajuk, Indu Dame, Gawa Bobby Gunnikog, Indunjaba. Um, it's my traditional uh, greeting. My name is Penny Kagagebe. I'm Crane Clan, uh, Mississippi Band from White Earth uh, Reservation. Uh, today I live in Detroit Lakes, which is just south of White Earth, so I've always been close to the reservation, if not living on the reservation. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm the youngest of 12 children. Um, my parents, my dad was born in 1908. My mom was born in 1921. So, um, I've had a very kind of different upbringing than a lot of my, um, contemporaries, you know, people I went to school with, or even people, uh, you know, today we, uh, my chores as I was a kid was, you know, chopping wood, um, bringing in wood um we did my mom had a huge garden so there was all kinds of canning and um we you know a lot of canned deer meat we ate a lot of squirrel a lot of grouse a lot of duck um there was some um uh like my dad would raise um some young young cattle or some sheep or some pigs but those were always shipped off for cash so we were always eating the wild game um he had farmed um earlier but by the time i was growing up he had had health problems so um and then the other thing with my parents is that i had um like my sister my oldest sister is turning 83 this year and i'm i've turned 57 so there's a there's plenty of us in between there's not like there's like 20 years between me and you know and her and like or, you know me and the next one or anything like that my my brother bill he's um uh about three and a half years older than me, he and I were like constant companions when I was a little kid, you know? So, yeah. So, you know, things are just, you know, 
I just had a kind of a, you know, we, my mom had a ringer wash machine. We had an outhouse. I remember um, when I was very young, uh, you know, taking baths in the tub, you know, the, the wash tub in the kitchen, you know, with the, you know, the wood stove going to, you know, keep us warm. And um, so, and, you know, and it was like, I had uh, that time to myself as being the youngest, I had some time with my parents that my other siblings didn't get. I, um, my, my brother, Dave, um, he talks about, I'll tell him stories about, you know, things that happened with me and my dad. And he'll be like that. That wasn't, you know, he didn't get that kind of time with our, you know, with our parents because they were always, you know, busy on hustling and, you know, making a living and trying to, you know, get everything all put together all the time. And, you know, I got the the father that, you know, had time to sit back and contemplate and think about, you know, the regrets, the regrets, the regrets that he had in his life, you know, so I think that had a big impact on me, you know, and, and my mom, she just always, she just always wanted us to be happy. Like, we're, you know, um, were we happy with what we were doing in our lives? And that was really important to her. She had gone to um, the boarding school in White Earth for about second grade to seventh grade. And that had a big impact on her and I think um, on us too. Um, so, but with her going to the boarding school, we weren't raised traditional. You know, White Earth was very targeted for um, a lot of churches on White Earth, you know, so I was raised going to church and, you know, and, and not, um, I don't, you know, I'm sure I didn't even go to a powwow when I was a kid. Like there was, you know, none of that was going on. Um, so I really came to traditional culture in my 30s looking for healing. You know, there was... Um, a lot of stuff going on. I'm a recovering alcoholic. Um, I'm two spirited. And, you know, this isn't always a, um, I want to say friendly community for that. I've, I've spent most of my adult life in Detroit Lakes and um, being native in Detroit Lakes is hard. Um, I have to say that. Um, and then when I was a kid, I was talking about, you know, like my brother, Bill, we always were all over the place looking, we were in the woods all the time. We were both very much obsessed with what was out in the woods that we could eat. You know, it was like, it was like this secret uh, treasure. It was like this, uh, you know, things that we knew there was information. We knew that there was um, stuff going on out there in the woods that we didn't know about. So we were always like all over the prairies and, you know, in the woods and in the swamps and, um, notably one time I remember us both of us eating like at the same time we both ate a raw acorn um, that was terrible we never did that again it was so bitter and nasty and <laughs> it was kind of, kind of icky um, and um, yeah so that's uh, that was you know that that was my childhood there my dad um, passed away when I was 17 I was a junior in high school and that like really tripped my whole world you know like that threw everything into a different perspective for me. I was um, set to go to school in Iowa at Grinnell and my mom asked me to not go. She asked me to stay. And, um, and one of the things that was going on was um, with her and I think also I kind of see some of it with my, my grandfather. I didn't know my grandparents. They had passed away before I was born. Um, but kind of looking back at what's going on with my mom's family and then definitely with my brothers and sisters, there was this real idea of um, just, you know, get out of school and go, just get away from the reservation. There's, there's nothing here for you. You, you just, you got to go. And so um, at the, I say at the very end, but you know, at the going towards the end of my getting out of high school, it was 
just me, my mom, and my dad living in White Earth. Um, and then my dad passed away and my mom asked me to not leave. So um, I ended up coming to Detroit Lakes, getting a job and, you know, getting on with my life and um, all of that. I started looking towards um, traditional culture in my 30s. My brother had gone to prison and while he was in Stillwater, he met Ruben Gogli and got his name. He started going to sweats every week and really came out of prison a completely different guy. Um, and that really got my attention because I had been doing, I had been trying 12-step programs. I had been in and out of therapy forever. Um, there was a period of time where um, I'd gotten um, involved in a lawsuit with my employer over um, discrimination, harassment for my sexual orientation that drug out for four years and the health problems I had because of that stress caused me to, um, I kept going back to this doctor and, and I find out later, it's like, you know, that guy was just known throughout the whole community as being the guy that, you know, he'd pull out his prescription pad if he had a problem. So there was, there was a period of time in there when I was on anywhere from six to 10 prescriptions a month. Like I was just constantly filling prescriptions and, um, he was, you know, and they call it practicing medicine for a reason, right? So he was like, one time he'd given me a prescription and uh, it was supposed to help me with anxiety or something. And um, shortly after I started taking it, I started having, um, I didn't know at the time, but it's called paraseizures. And the feeling is, is like if you put your hand on an electric fence and that, you know, that charge that runs through your whole body. So that's, that's called a paraseizure. And so I read, you know, through all the material on the prescription and it's like, doesn't say anything that that could be a side effect. So I was having so many health problems. I just thought, well, this is just another health problem I'm having. Um, when I got back to the doctor, he's like, he pulls out the big book off the shelf and he's like, oh, you know, like 2% of the people who take this medication have that reaction. Um, and you know what I'm like, and, and the reason why I get going to such depth on that is like, I really was, became highly motivated to find something else. Like I, um, had uh, I was diagnosed in my 20s as having fibromyalgia which is pretty common with people who have you know trauma in childhood um, and so I was you know supposed to take like 800 milligrams of ibuprofen three times a day well you know eventually that's gonna you know that chews up your stomach and it messes up your liver and it's like you know these they're not sustainable ways of living and so when I saw these changes in my brother when he was coming out of prison and I started wondering if, you know, traditional teachings, traditional medicine, traditional everything, you know, the culture that's offered through, um, you know, the Ojibwe people, if that was something that would be useful to me. And I started, I went looking, I, you know, trying to find, and, and that's the other thing is it's like when you're on the outside of that community, it can be hard to find a way in. Uh, so, but I was lucky. I was able to, you know, I, I was able to find my way in. Um, and, and yeah, so that, that fascination with the plants and now it's the, you know, it's the traditional foods again, you know, and the, and the, and the, the medicines that are available for, um, you know, how we take care of ourselves in a traditional way. Um, right now I'm all about, um, hazelnuts. It's like, there's so many hazelnuts growing out there and they're such a excellent food source and they're like, and, um, and I kind of, I kind of trick myself into making sure like if I tell somebody I'm going to do something I, I'll follow up and do it right so 
Um, I have a good friend. She's uh, just turned 70. She lives in Fort Francis, you know, across the border from International Falls. And um, I was telling her about the hazelnuts. And um, she remembers gathering hazelnuts as a kid with her mom. And she said they don't have them up there anymore. And um, so I'm going to, you know, she said they would get two big gunny sacks every, every fall and have them and they would go through two gunny sacks full of hazelnuts every year, you know, her for their family. So I promised her that, you know, this year I would make sure I got some hazelnuts to her. And um, so to make sure that I get out there and, and, and harvest them and actually, you know, follow through and take care of that. Um, Cause I, yeah, I just love hazelnuts. They're just like, they're so, I don't know what else to say about them. They're really this beautiful little nutrition source all in that nice, neat little package. And they're, they're just right there. You just, you know, you don't have to have special equipment or anything. You just walk up there and, you know, pick them, they're, you know, pick them and dry them. And they're so easy. I fed some to my brother, Dave here this last fall. And he was all, ah, he remembers eating hazelnuts as a kid. So he was excited to get some. The other thing that I was going to um, ask, did you oh, and your brother, excuse me? Oh, I was going to ask if you and your, your brother, Bill had picked those. Um, not when we were kids. Uh, there was a lot of, um, when we were kids, it was like, we knew there was stuff out there, but we didn't have anybody to show us, you know, there was, you know, so there were a few things that we could, um, and kind of where we were tromping around, it's like anything that was tillable was put into farmland. You know, they, we were, it was right between Ogham and White Earth. Um, so, so mainly where we were going was, um, you know, into the woods and into the swamps and, I think the problem with us at that time was that we just didn't have somebody to show us that, because uh, I've had people that, you know, they're like, oh, here, you know, basswood buds, you know, basswood buds are such a great spring green, you know, they're growing everywhere, but we didn't have anybody when we were a kid to say, hey, those are edible and they're delicious. You know, they're like, those are, those are great to eat, you know? So um, yeah, we really needed somebody to go out there with us and say, this is good. You know, this is this is yummy. This is easy. You know, go ahead and grab some of that. So, um, for years now, um, yeah, there was a time where my brother Bill and I, we would go out every, like we had a date, like once, at least one day a summer, we would go tromping around and go exploring places and go check stuff out because, um, there's a limited number of public places for people to go and gather things. So you got to do a lot of exploring, you know, checking out places. And then once you, once you find a place that you can go into, then, you know, sometimes him and I, we would just go, let's go check it out. Let's go tromping through there, you know, and then, you know, see what we could see. And um, so maybe we'd find something like one time we found um, this little wild mint. It's a little lake, lake water mint that um, we'd gotten there too late. It was had already gone past its season. But now we know on next year, if we come a little bit earlier in the season, we found another place where we can access that plant, you know, so um yeah, he's he's a lot of fun to tromp around in the woods with because he's um, my husband was explaining to me last night the difference between. Um, so so when we met, I was, you know, I'm Penny Paulson. That, that was my maiden name. So he's he has this like uh, really lovely way of talking about you know, like uh, the things he loves about me as Penny Paulson, you know, the daring and, the you know, that I'm adventurous and that, you know, I want to go do lots of things and I'm interested in so many different things. Um, and then he has this, he's seen me and my brother doing stuff together. And he's like, that's called the Paulson. And we're like, 
we're the ones that are like we're like we're standing on the edge of the cliff and we're almost falling off but we're, it's okay it's okay we can it'll be all right it'll be all right <laughs> even as we're going off the edge of the cliff we're like no we're fine we're fine it's <laughs> right we're still having fun you know <laughs> he's like and that that version like my husband's a little more cautious so he's like that version like that that causes him a little worry when he thinks i'm going a little too far <laughs> you know all of those behaviors <laughs> um so but um it was through ceremony that i met my husband uh rick Kagebe, uh and um i i mentioned him because it's like one of the things that's surprising to me is i've always been and, and in my previous relationship too like i've always been the partner or or wife of the artist you know I'm, I'm not generally considered in my in my past life I haven't been considered you know the artist it's I've always been the partner of the artist so um, even this morning a friend of mine had posted a picture of a wallpaper that she's putting up and how it's it's going up nicely in her room but she just had a little bit of a corner of her bed on there and I could tell I was like that that looks like a blanket I know and so I'd sent her a message and I'm like, nice wallpaper, but what, what's that blanket? You know, tell me more about that blanket. And, and it was one of my husband's blankets that he had made and um, somebody had asked for it for commissioned it for a ceremony. And it had eventually ended up in her hands for, you know, through a ceremony. And it's like, it was fun to see that blanket again. She went and took a little better shot of it so you could see the whole thing. And um, and, and I like that for, um, that was important for me when I started making um Cool boxes. I hoped that they would be in the hands of natives and become part of their lives. It would be, you know, I like things that have utility. I like knowing that they're being used by native people kind of in, you know, I don't know, in the way that they were meant, kind of maybe. Um, my husband and I, we met uh, through ceremony um, in uh, Wisconsin. And I got you know, it's like one of the things that um, happened for us is that our son passed away when he was very young. And through that, I became really focused on, I want to heal from trauma. Um, I found we sat um, at the hospital in the, um, what they call it, neonatal intensive care unit with him for about six weeks. And I came away from that with a lot of pain in my legs, you know, and I was like, you know, because I, and really, I think about it now, it's like, well, yeah, the trauma causes pain in people's bodies. But I also feel like um, we were literally sitting for six weeks, you know, but I was like, okay, I don't want, I don't want this turning into some kind of weird cancer. I don't want this turning into, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how people get cancer, you know, but I became really concerned about, you know, healing and um, how to recover from trauma. And one of the things I found through that was um, art. Art is very much, a, you know, one of the things that's recommended for um, how we can grieve and recover from uh, tragic, you know, circumstances in our life. And we had the benefit of um, we were making a bundle that would be go through ceremony and be sent over to our son at the end of a year following his passing. So we, I felt like that helped us so much. There were so many things that we did traditionally to take care of him in that year after he passed away that really saved my life. And I, and I, and I, and it's like, I, I'm sure it's all designed that way. You know, it, it's supposed to be like that. Um, so, and that's when I really started doing um, applique work. My husband's an applique 
when he didn't, when he makes her um, like applique mural blankets and what he wanted to do for our sons, that bundle is what it's called. It's a bundle that's sent over. What he wanted to do for the bundle was one of the things was to do 50 baby blankets. And so we went, we worked on doing uh, 50 applique baby blankets. And so he taught me how to do applique and it, uh, gave me an opportunity to really get a level of mastery on doing applique work. Cause I, um, you know, I don't live next door to a skilled artisan in at any level, you know, so I can't just walk over next door to somebody and have them teach me day after day after day, you know, to le really learn how to do something. Um, so the idea of, you know, how do people reach a level of mastery in anything is really interesting to me. Um, I'm, I'm really good at applique work, but over that year, you know, I worked on sewing down, you know, lots and lots and lots of little bits and pieces on, you know, 50 baby blankets. So I was able to get that level of skill. Um, and somewhere, um, oh, I was going to say too, um, in my, the other bit of my introduction is I now today I make quill boxes and the photo that I had submitted to go with the podcast, I'm holding a quill box. And I did that on purpose because I say quill box to people and they, they're, they don't know what that is. They're like, you know, what is that? And um, so I wanted to give a brief explanation, you know, that, you know, a quill box is from the beginning of time, nor, you know, woodland Indians have been making these quill boxes for food storage, um, storage of medicines. And um, there's a, they're made of birch bark and uh, there's a uh, porcupine quills are embroidered onto the birch bark or actually literally into the birch bark and the the cover is you know it's it's meant to be a design of what's in that container you know what's what's the um so for instance if um i wanted to send my grandson into the storage area to get uh, the dried deer meat you know he would go get the container that had a applique or excuse me, an embroidered uh, picture of a deer on the cover, and he wouldn't have to go through every single container, opening it up and you know checking for it and bringing it back. And um, so the birch bark provides a preservative. It's you know it's built into the bark. It has a preservative to take care of things. And then um, there's it's interesting to me that the uh, the quill boxes that we see today are more decorative, but the ones that you see that are older, they have sweetgrass running along every single seam. And sweetgrass is, uh, you know, it's an insect repellent. So every seam, every place where an insect could possibly get into that container, they're not going to go in there because the, the, you know, the sweetgrass. So um, I, I wanted to also explain, it's like, that's, that's what a quill box is. Um, and, and I've just, I've always been, um, attracted to containers, like containers of any kind. Um, when I was doing, um, in high school, you know, we had the, the usual art classes and I was always really attracted to the art classes and I wanted to be doing, um, pottery. I wanted to do the, the pottery where I could make a bowl or I could make a, you know, I wanted to make containers. I wanted to make things that people would use that would be, um, 
you know, you have that beauty, you know, that, that, that weight of that item in your hands and, you know, in everyday life. Um, and I would bring things home for my mom to use. And I made sure that I, I wouldn't give them to her because if I gave my mom something, she would stick it up on the shelf and make sure that it never got broke. So it would never get used. So I'd be like, we're, I'm bringing these home and we can use them, but they're not yours. Cause I know if I give them to you, you'll stick them away and I'll never see them again. So that was, um, yeah, I'm just really interested in, in containers and I'm interested in seeing that things are getting used in everyday life. Who are your biggest influences? Um, like there's so many, um, definitely my parents, um, they were both makers. They were always making stuff. Um, I don't think either of them would have called themselves artists, but they were always busy. They were always making something. My mom made a lot of blankets out of used clothing. Um, my dad was, uh, he had shown me, we would carve, uh, fish decoys cause he would go dark house spearing. Um, and then he also, um, one of our neighbors had, well, and the other thing is we were, we were very poor, um, very poor. So one of my neighbors had pulled down, uh, what do they call it? Like a cedar silo. And, um, my dad, uh, claimed some of that wood. This is in the seventies, um, brought some of that wood home and cut it down. And he made just the tiniest little slivers out of it and, um, did like a whole, wall in our kitchen so the kitchen cupboards were the doors on the kitchen cupboards were covered with that and then the wall as well so like there's pictures of our of our kitchen when i was um maybe in eighth ninth tenth grade um it's just got that deep deep red cedar color all over and then he would take some of them and um make stools or he made three tables out of those i think and um and i and i have one of those tables because he i helped him do that and you know so i was able to have that connection to them um and i'm really um i'm really a person that learns from observing so being the youngest of 12 people or excuse me the youngest of 12 children um i feel like i'm just like always like watching you know what are the lessons that i can take from what's going on with somebody else and, um, and I, and I see that with my husband, he's very generous in, in his gifting. Like he, he really wants to make art so that it can go out to people and, and, and get to where it needs to be. Um, and, and one of the things that happened, um, with our son was that we wanted every moment of his life to be filled with, you know, knowing that we loved him and that we were joyful and that he was with us. And so his, his little space in the, in the NICU was every day there was singing every day. There was laughter. Um, people would come in and visit him and he loved songs. He loved to, to hear songs. And so like it was, we'd tell people that the, um, what the, the ticket, the ticket for admission to come in and see our son was to, that they had to bring him a song. And even if it was Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, you know, it's like he just wanted to hear all the voices and hear everybody singing all the time. And, um, and you know, I've, I've been wondering, so there's that quill box that's in that picture um, on that I provided for the podcast. That quill box is one of the first ones that I made. And it's one of the few that I've hung on to and kept. And the reason I've kept it is because um, 
as I was making it, it took me, I'm going to, I think I started working on this one in the fall of 2014 and I didn't actually finish it till the spring of 2018. It took, took a long time to, to make this particular quill box. And, um, I made so many mistakes while I was making this quill box and, um, at, and at different stages, cause it was, you know, it was really a lot of learning going on while I was making it. And, um, I kept thinking that I had completely ruined it and it was never, it was completely irretrievable. And I wasn't going to be able to get it back. And this is the quill box that when people see it, this is their favorite. This is the one that people are just like, they want to know more about it. There's, um, the, the sidewalls on it is a, you know, like a tribute to high bush cranberries that we use a lot in our cooking. Um, and it's got a lot of different size quills on it on purpose. And, um, I've been wondering, I, I remember talking to, um, Shirley and Sharon Nordrum, uh, three years ago about that, this issue completely. And I remember saying to them, there's a life lesson in there and I got to figure it out. And I think what I've figured out is that what I think is broken, what I think is a disaster is really, it may be trauma, but eventually it's going to be the thing that makes my life beautiful. Um, it was really hard to um, have a son that passed away at that young age, um, but he's given so much to our lives and he's done so much to contribute to our lives. Um, my my husband and I, we had only been married a year at that time. And what, he, what, what happened for us during that time really has, um, created a depth and maturity to our marriage that I don't think, you know, we may not have even reached that today, you know, on our own. Um, so we, we always feel like, you know, you know, our, the, the gifts that we received through our son coming to be with us. And then still today is, you know, has been just enormous. Um, I remember, um, I remember in the late nineties, I think was the first time I had seen a quill box and it was like, I was struck by lightning. It was just like, I, I, and it wasn't even that I was thinking, oh, that's really pretty or that's really beautiful. My initial and total response was I got to learn how to do that. Like that. I just knew that was, that was for me, you know, like I got to learn how to do that. And as time went by, well, and initially, um, you know, like talking to people and I'm like, where, where can I go? Who can I learn to do this with? And um, all I could get was like, maybe there was a woman out in Ponsford, out on the um, eastern side of the reservation that might know how to make quill boxes, but they couldn't even tell me what her name was. It was like there was just no one, you know, that I could, that I could go to, to learn how to make quill boxes. Um, eventually, um, uh, I'd met Earl and Kathy Hoagland. Um, they're both past now and they were making quill boxes. And I thought, well, one day, someday I'll get around to learning how to make quill boxes from them. Um, and you know, that's Earl and Earl ended up becoming, um, one of my namesakes. Um, and I guess, you know, that's a, that's been an influence for me too, is that, 
you know, I kind of walk around thinking I have all the time in the world to do stuff. And now they're both gone and I wasn't able to go learn from them. Um, I was very interested in the quill boxes that Nell Losh makes. That was, that was another goal of mine was that, well, maybe I can go learn from Nell Losh someday. But again, I didn't know anybody who knew him. Uh, I didn't have any way of, you know, getting an introduction to him. And um, I was just, you know, kind of hoping that maybe someday I could possibly go and learn from him. Um, and then um, I was going to say, I really, I really like the format for your podcast because it's, it's really, I, I don't, and here's why. Um, I have my brother, my oldest brother, he's um, 24 years older than me. He's going to be 81 this year. Um, we weren't, you know, he was long gone by the time I was being raised and, you know, we're, we haven't spent a ton, you know, a lot of time together, but I wanted to make a connection with him. And, you know, he's my oldest living male relative. So when we would occasionally see each other, I started going and asking him, do you have any advice for me? And I guess that's the piece of your podcast that I find to be very, to be brilliant. It's like, you know, what, well, you know, what advice do we have for 18 and 22 year olds? You know, that's, um, kind of gets to the heart of what people really think is important about life, right? Um, so, so anyway, when I, I in 2013, I'd asked my brother Ted. I said, uh, you know, what what advice do you have for me? And he said, um, you know, and I could tell he'd been kind of thinking about it. He was waiting for me to come back and ask because he's like he thought, you know, he's like really wanted to say something to me. And he said, you know, if there's something that you want to do, if there's something that's just won't let go of you, go do it you know, just stop thinking that, you know, time, you don't have enough time. Stop thinking that you don't have, you know, whatever the barriers are that you're putting up that you can't go do that thing, figure it out and go do it. And, um, and, and to me, and immediately that, you know, the two things that I thought of were, you know, learning how to make quill boxes and learning Ojibwe better, learning how to speak Ojibwe better. And um, so the interesting thing to me was that that was, um, late August, early September that I had that conversation with him. And then shortly after that, I saw that um, Mel Losh um, was interviewed by uh, NPR, Minnesota Public Radio. And he had expressed in an interview to them that he was kind of sad that he felt like there was nobody coming up behind him, that, you know, people weren't making quill boxes. And that um, and bothered him, you know, that he, that he wished that, you know, more people would learn how to make quill boxes. And I was like, okay, there's, there's a, there's a possibility, there's a chance or, you know, I might be able to, um, talk to him and ask him to teach me, but I still didn't know, um, anybody, you know, I didn't know how to get introduced to him. So I, uh, you know, went about my way, you know, when I talked about it and I was, you know, saying to people that I, you know, still wish I could do that, but I don't know how I could possibly do it. Uh, and then November, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's like things just like, don't, 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 you know, like one thing after another. And then in November of that year, I met, uh, Laura Cedar from, uh, region two arts council in Bemidji. And, um, I kind of feel like, you know, when you're in that business, Laura probably is somebody who says to everybody, you should write a grant. You should come to, you know, you should, you should do a grant. You should go learn how to do something, you know? And so I, I don't feel like that was kismet so much because, you know, she probably says that to everybody. Um, but she said it to me that day and nobody else had ever said that to me. And so it seemed significant to me. And I was like, well, yeah, I re really would like to, but I, 
don't know Mel Wash and I don't know how to meet Mel Wash and I don't know how to ask Mel Wash if he'll teach me. And she's like, she's like, well, I know Mel Wash and I can introduce you guys. And she did. And um, I went over and met him and asked him if he would teach me and, you know, brought him, you know, did the thing. You know, I brought him the tobacco, brought him the gift bundle, asked him in a good way if he would teach me. And, and he thought about it and he said he would teach me. And so I wrote the grant and I was able to go over and learn from him. Um, so the this the the quill box that you see um, in that picture is really the the style that I learned from him. Um, and yeah, he's his work is just mm. just brilliant. Um, and those I guess um, I wouldn't say there's so many influences I could. I don't know where to where to quit with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think throughout this conversation, uh, those individuals sort of come up within within the stories that are talked about. Um, how have you developed uh, this career? Uh, if career is the right word, um, how, how has this developed? Um, often I ask about college and post-college, if that was any part of your journey. Mm. Um, so, right. So I didn't go to college. Um, I've taken some classes, um, but no, I wasn't, wasn't able to pursue that um, in a more traditional sense. Um, and I, I got the impression pretty early on that that was, uh, um, that might be something that would trip me up because, you know, I, I, I was everywhere I was looking, it was like, you know, the, you know, this, you know, people had, uh, bachelors and masters in fine arts. And it's like, I was really like, Oh, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm swimming in a pool where I got no fins, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, I really didn't, um didn't know how to um, move in that arena. And, but one of the things that um, I had been taking um, some Ojibwe classes through the uh, tribal college in Monoman. And so, you know, they like, I feel like I've got just enough, you know, like just enough language to like, you know, kind of light a spark every once in a while. So there's this idea around, you know, what is mastery? And it's the, the, the phrase that I, uh, heard all the time around that in Ojibwe is nita which gay and the you know it's the um is gay is to do thing you know to do things in a certain way nita which gay that nita preverb is really about um you know somebody's just a master at something they're you know like they are the you know the the, the ultimate at that you know doing whatever that thing is and the the definition for that that little that nata, that preverb for nata is, you know, multiple things. It's it's that someone is skilled, um, but also that it's something that they do frequently, and also it's it could be that it's something that you know they just, they do a large quantity of those items. You know, like because by the time you've done fifty applique baby blankets, you've re you know you've reached some level of um, mastery at doing applique work just just by the sheer number of doing that so I I kind of put on myself you know the idea that um, if I was going to keep the skills that I learned in the time that I spent with Mel Lash and develop them further um, that I would need to do make sure that I'm producing quill boxes or even the mini canisters you know that I have that I'm producing some amount of those 
uh, little boxes every year. Like there's, there's got to be some coming out every year. And that's been something that I've been intentional about making sure that I'm doing. Um, though I do have to say that um, 20, you know, and yeah, the pandemic was hard. Um, but I'm really, I'm feeling really grateful to Joe Allen and Gajig and Art Incubator out of White Earth because um, there, there was an opportunity to participate in a show and Joe asked me about it twice and um, very, you know, it wasn't like he was haranguing me or anything, but it felt to me like, you know, Joe asked me about something twice. That was really, he mentioned it twice. Oh, I better, better think about that hard, you know, that <laughs> kind of thing. And um, hmm. so I, I did get, I did pull myself together and I pulled myself out of my pandemic depression that, you know, that summer 2020 and um, just really piled into, you know, doing the uh, quill work and getting those little boxes completed and being, you know, so that I could be able to participate in that. And, um, and I, you know, I was, um, and the other thing I do is like, you know, I try to get myself out and, you know, keep learning stuff, you know, try to keep, going and putting myself into places where I'm going to learn some new skill and it's going to, you know, like get something going for me. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Anna Johnson was doing a print workshop up at Plains. And so um, my husband and I and Sadie Allen, we came up there for the weekend to do that um, printing workshop. And, you know, actually the, I really, I'm really excited about printing now. I haven't been able to do it again anymore. Um, but the ideas that I took out of, you know, what, like, I'm, there's all these little birds around me all the time. So it was like, you know, the prints that I made of these little birds, they kind of, they just spilled over into all kinds of other stuff. Um, and then now, um, and, but I was, you know, that idea of doing something every year with the quill work, um, last year was really a year for doing, um, like applique beadwork and, um, really getting myself together and doing um, some uh, beaded earrings. It was something that I hadn't done before that applique bead bead work for earrings. And um, I was kind of, you know, nudging myself and it's like, come on, come on, you know, you, that's, you know, set, set the bead work aside and get back to the quill work. And, but then I remembered, it's like, you know, when I initially was wondering if this was my path, if this was the thing that I was, you know, going to do um, with the quill boxes, um, cause there was a, there was a gap in time. There was, there was a the gap between, uh, you know, Laura Cedar saying that she would, you know, create, you know, make that introduction with Mel Losh and she got the permission from him for me to call him. And then I, I hesitated. I didn't call him right away because I was like, you know, do I really, is it, you know, is this really what I should be doing? And, um, when I started, you know, questioning in that way, well, then the dreaming started coming. I started dreaming about the quill boxes and doing quill work. And, and one of the first dreams I had was there was a kind of a mixed media thing where it was quills, quill work with beadwork. And, um, you know, I wasn't even it's like, you know, and that was, that was in 2013. So it's like, I don't even know how that could work, you know, but now what I understand is like, you know, because my beading skills weren't that great. My mom had taught me to bead when I was really small, but I, you know, hadn't kept up on it. And so this last year has really been about getting my beadwork skills up. So now the quill work I'm doing is, you know, I've been for the last, 
uh, two years, I've been seeing stuff coming with, you know, there's quill work and then there's bead work in with it too. So it's like, so now the stuff I'm working on has got, um, you know, there's, there's, we're finally there. It's like, okay, we were de developing other skills to bring it into, to enhance my quill work. So, um, and that's, that's important to me too. It's like, I, I always want to be building and, you know, and challenging myself and, you know, it's, um, I, I like being excited about what I'm working on. So it's, I'm happy that, you know, I, and that's the other thing. It's like, I don't ever want to be, um, uh, I guess, um, I want to avoid the moment of where I feel like I'm just producing, producing, producing to a point of boredom and, you know, I, I don't even like my life to be like that. You know, it's like, I, I, I feel like, you know, I know that uh, this life is to be enjoyed. And so I try to find places where I can bring in, you know, where's the joy in this moment. And, um, and there's, you know, just joy. There's, there's a uh, Giza to Waganan today. You know, there's, I, for the first time ever, I've seen the, the sun dogs coming through, the blowing snow i've like i've never seen sun dogs through blowing snow before and it's like oh that's got to be really some kind of blizzard going on out there you know it's like oh that's that's interesting i wonder what that's about you know so um <laughs> and um i can't remember where that question started out <laughs> <laughs> oh career development well, okay about, yeah uh, you okay. know developing <laughs> mm. but i think there's something said too about when artists you know because you see styles change. You see they they evolve, and I forget who I was talking to um, or talking with, and they said that it's they kind of feel sad when they see an artist from the seventies or the eighties still doing the same thing. You know, thirty five, forty years later, uh -huh. that it's they would like to see sort of growth and change and he, sort of an evolution of style or at least searching for themes and, and changing. So I think it's perfectly natural to sort of um, kind of move along different paths. Um, I, yeah. you know, I feel sorry for um, where I really notice it is a, a musician or a band that had, you know, that big, big, big hit in the seventies or the eighties. And nobody wants to hear anything else out of them. It's like, play that same song over and over again. You know, I don't, I don't want to hear any new material out of you, you know, and that's that, that feels sad to me. Yeah. Especially if you wrote a song when you're 19 and you get, you get uh, held to that song and you're, you know, you're 55 mm -hmm. or you're 40 or you're, you're decades away from that. And, all right, back to the same four chords. Here we go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 And, you know, I guess I was, I was actually even kind of thinking about that, you know, with um, doing the podcast today, even it's like, you know, um, I'm, I was like, you know, hoping and praying that like, you know, whoever, whoever's listening to this in 10 years, or if this is still around in 10 years that, you know, it's like, there's, you know, some compassion and, and pity for me that, you know, it's like, you know, that's, that's where I was that day. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, you know, um, I hope that we allow each other all the grace that, you know, we move on and evolve and grow from that moment forward, you know, um, 
I remember, um, I was going to say, I, I feel like when you going back to influences, I feel like a lot of my influences have been um, cultural teachers, you know, people that, you know, said things to me when I, um, I was going to say when I first started learning this way, but um, it's, it's still today even. Um, but I remember um, Tommy Stilday, um, we called him Tommy J, but, you know, Tommy Stilday from uh, Red Lake. Um, he used to come down to Detroit Lakes once a month and the Anishinaabe Center was here in town at that time. And he, they, he'd come down, they'd have a one Saturday a month where they'd have him and Anna Gibbs and uh, Greg Kingbird would come in and they would, you know, we would have a day of um, families, you know, kids and elders and all kinds of different people come in. And it was, it was a great day. It was, um, and got a chance to sit and visit with um, Tommy during lunch, most of those Saturdays. And he'd said one time um, that, and I don't even remember what brought it up, but it's like really stuck with me. He's like, you know what? He said, there's no, no one can be, what is it? He said, no one could ever be the Superman in their hometown or their home village. He goes, and he said, and the same thing is true. He's like, you can't go, but you can't be the medicine man in your own home village. He goes, there's always that guy who's like, oh yeah, yeah. I remember when him, when he was, you know, he was a, he was a drunk when he was 23, you know, that kind of, you know, and, and that's the way he talked about it. He's like, there's always going to be somebody around saying, oh yeah, yeah. He's full of crap. I remember when he was 23 and he was doing this kind of nonsense or he was doing that kind of nonsense. And it, and that's really struck with me because it's like, um, yeah, we can't, hopefully we're not holding people to the standard of, you know, oh yeah, I remember what he was doing 15 years ago. You know, it's like, I, I hope I've grown and changed and, you know, become um, more of who I'm supposed to be or have a better understanding, you know, of all those things. Um, Cause that's, what would life be if we didn't, right? <laughs> it's like. Very true. Very true. So how have opportunities presented themselves to you? Um, well, I, I'm going to go back to, you know, like being the wife of the artist. I was really surprised um, when opportunities started presenting themselves. Uh, I had um, given a quill box uh, to someone um, that had been instrumental in teaching me, um, Betsy May. And um, I, I think what happened was, is um, I think Karen Goulet from um, Mickey Nan in um, Bemidji at the Watermark had seen that quill box or heard about it or something. Um, but the, I think they were having a show there in April or May or something like that. And um, I came home one evening in February and there was a message on the answering machine. And my husband said, um, Oh, there's somebody on the phone wants to talk to you about exhibiting your quill boxes and, or there's somebody on the phone wants to talk to you about putting, submitting something for an exhibit for a fiber arts show. And I said, well, that, that can't, that call can't be for me. You're the artist, you know, they're calling for you, you know, you should call her back. And he's like, no, no, he's, she's definitely said you. And I, so we listened to the message again and I'm like, 
I don't know what she wants. I don't know why she's calling. So um, called Karen back and she said she had heard about or seen or something you know, about the quill boxes and um, wanted to uh, know if we would, you know, if I would submit those in for the exhibit. And um, I still didn't believe her. I, I made an appointment to come to, you know, Bemidji's about two hours away. I made an appointment to go to Bemidji and show her the quill boxes because uh, I was like, I'm sure you're mistaken. I, I don't think, I don't think, um, I, th I think you've got the wrong person here. <laughs> and um, she, uh, she's like, no, this, and then so then once we, you know, went up there um, and that also happened to be, it was a very, it was a kind of a strange time here because there were seven of my hus husband's um, applique, applique blankets in the house. Um, and I was like, Hey, you want to bring those along and show them to Karen? You think you might ever want to exhibit your blankets? And he was like, well, and up until then, Rick was always, he had always felt like his blankets had to stay private for ceremony or commissions. He, he, he had been asked before to exhibit them and, and he hadn't been willing. So it was kind of an interesting day because like brought the quill boxes in Karen looked at him she's like yep this is exactly what I was looking for and I said hey by the way do you want to see these blankets that Rick has and she's like oh my god yes and she she said she had been seeing those walk by in ceremony for years but she had been told that they weren't available for exhibit so she never you know um, pushed it and so then that was you know a, so Karen Karen Goulet has done a lot to influence what's what's happening over here now um, so but that and so then going back again too about the idea of um, not having the art degree, not going to college for art, not really knowing, you know, um, what's what. Um, I, um, you know, I think I, I think I've been, I'm trying to remember, you know, I know I've had some conversations with Joe Allen at the arts incubator. Um, one of the things that um, I do try to do, I, so now, so now with Rick's blankets and with my quill boxes, I'm, I know there's every once in a while you see this joke run across Facebook where people are saying, they're like, oh yeah, not, not only am I supposed to, you know, keep designing new work and creating new work and, you know, putting out new work, but I'm also supposed to be a marketing director and a, you know, a manager for this art career and, you know, all these other things too. And it's like, that's me plus my husband's art career too, right? You know, so it's like, I, I get to do that for, you know, for two people. Um, so I'm always, that's the other thing is like, I, I'm looking for opportunities to, for both of us to exhibit at least once a year, you know, that was tougher with the pandemic, but, you know, just, um, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just always looking at different places where we can exhibit. Um, and actually, um, we were in a spot last summer. Oh, you know what? Things really changed for us. Um, Rick had finished up some blankets for a grant that he had gotten through region two. Um, they were due by the end of 2020, both the pandemic, he needed a little more time. So he got those done, you know, early 2021. And then he had a, he had a, he had a small stroke in April of 2021. Um, and he's, he's been very lucky. He's come back from it amazingly well. Um, been very very lucky but it, it really did flip us it flipped our life again at that moment and you know um and all of our energy went into you know, like figuring out what was what we needed to do next to take care of him and 
we were getting into uh, late summer of 2021 and there was these new blankets that had nowhere to go. So I just, I just started sending out emails to um, all kinds of different uh, galleries that, you know, it's like, I couldn't wait around for somebody to do a call for art. I just was like, Hey, here's, you know, here's the images of the new work. Is there, you know, do you have anything coming up where he could be exhibiting these and, and it's, and it's worked out, you know, so there's, I don't, I don't know. I guess I'm, I bring that up to say that, you know, there's a lot of different creative ways to like get your work out there. And again, we've been super, super lucky with, um, Joe Allen is the manager of the Gajigan Arts uh, Incubator for White Earth over, you know, Monoman. And he's a professional photographer. So he's, we're forever like, hey, Joe, we got something new we need, you know, photographs taken of. And he does these great photographs for us. We always have really nice professional photographs of work. Um, and I actually, I've got it on my list of things to do is to talk to him about, um, maybe I should get a decent, I don't, we don't, we don't have a cell phone because we just, we're not cell phone people. Like, um, so we don't have a cell phone. We don't have a decent camera. We don't have, you know, any of these things. So like I'll make something and it's going out for a ceremony gift and it's gone and out the door. And the only picture I have of it is this fuzzy picture I've taken off my laptop. You know, it's like, well, we have the memory that I made that thing, but there's no decent photograph of it. And it's, you know, it's gone. Um, so, and, and I want to mention too, it's like the, the thing about not, like, not having a cell phone and, you know, there's a few other things. It's like, I feel like, um, I'm trying to resist the crowd. Like I, I'm trying to live a different kind of way so that, you know, the stuff that's going through my head can have the freedom to be a little different, you know, it's like, um, uh, so yeah, we don't have a washing machine. We don't have a micro. No, I take that back. We don't have a dishwasher. We do have a clothes washing machine. We don't have a dishwasher. We don't have a microwave. <laughs> we don't have a cell phone. We don't have cable. We don't have, you know, it's like um, the lady from CenturyLink got really upset with me a year ago. I was working from home and I was having trouble with our, uh, our Wi-Fi connection. And her script was just that she was supposed to sell us, you know, more hookups for the house for, for the Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. And so she's going through the script and she's like, ma'am, it's obviously your cell phone that's interfering with it. I'm like, I don't have a cell phone. She's like, well, it's obviously your microwave that's interfering with it. I'm like, I don't have a microwave. She was getting so upset in this conversation because there was nothing that was on the script that was fitting my life. And it was like, and I, you know, I'm. I guess that maybe that kind of that's part of my two-spiritedness. It's like it kind of delights me when I don't fit into somebody's little narrow, just, you know, what they think I'm supposed to be. That I think that's fun. <laughs> I like that. The the cell phone thing. Um, I intentionally uh, turned the volume, uh, the ringer off my phone, and I set it aside. Mm -hmm. So I, I really only have access to it when I actually feel like I need it. And whenever I go out with my wife, Cicely, um, when we go out, I leave it at home. I, cause I want to focus all my yeah. time with her and not be distracted with Facebook or Instagram or, or work emails. Um, and so, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, hats off to you for, uh, resisting that and functioning and living in this world without it. Cause, uh, it's, oh, it's the biggest distraction, <laughs> you know? Well, and and it is getting tougher and tougher. Um, initially, it started out, um, you know, like uh, I had a lot of debt. Um, 
when Rick and I were first dating and I'd made the decision that, you know, I was just going to, I'd done some research and it's like, you know, the, the lower your monthly, you know, your recurring monthly bills are, the more money you've got to dedicate to going out and paying off debt, you know? So it's like, uh, so I was like, okay, well, that's one area where I don't have to have the expense of a cell phone and that's more money I'll have to pay off this debt. And, and then it's got into a, um, I don't know. I just, I'm a little, um, uh, I don't know. You know, there's that thing where they say there's nothing's all good. Nothing's all bad, you know, but I've got, I've got this real mm. obstinate streak, which I think, you know, the obstinate streak helps me in my artwork because I decide, you know, I'm going to set aside a certain amount of time and I'm, it's kind of hard to distract me to go off and do other stuff when I've decided I'm going to do artwork during this time. Um, but the, you know, sometimes it's, it's sometimes being so obstinate doesn't work for me. It's not, it's not always good in a relationship. I can tell you that. Um, but I've had enough people say that, you know, you can't, you can't survive without a cell phone. You got to have a cell phone. And I'm like, well, here you go. Watch me, you know, watch me, watch me live without a cell phone. And it was, it's been delightful to me to, you know, like have our grandson, you know, staying with us last year during the pandemic, since he was on remote school, you know, he came over and hung out with us, you know, sometimes not, not all the time, but you know, there is, he'd come and stay for a week or so. Um, and yeah, he's calling his mom and dad on our regular phone and he's like, why don't you guys have a real phone? You know? And it's like, well, <laughs> cause it's just, uh, I want you to see that people can survive without all that stuff. You know, it's like a, someday I hope, you know, we'll be teaching him how to chop wood and build a fire too. You know, it's like, there's all these, you know, I want, I want him to be the one with the, the weird grandparents that teach him all these skills that, you know, he wasn't able, you know, his, his maybe his uh, classmates aren't aren't able to learn because they don't have the the weird grandparents that like doing all that stuff. I I can appreciate you saying the weird grandparents, but it's it's how we grew up. I I grew up in the country too, and uh, you know oh, my dad okay. had this huge garden. I grew up in the country on a lake. Uh, we had a wood stove uh, for the first few years, and um, we had a thirteen inch black and white TV up until about eighty five. So I, I can appreciate everything oh you're God. talking about. <laughs> uh, you know, we had the yeah, three you, channels. Uh, yeah, yes, oh, yes. <laughs> we we, no, we no, had I was two channels. You got up and went over and switched the channel, right? Yep, yep. We would click, we would click. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. we we had two yeah. channels, but when it would rain, we'd get NBC, and so I always liked it when it rained because we'd run and go watch NBC, <laughs> whatever it was. <laughs> That's really yeah. interesting. You never think of storms actually getting you more reception. Yeah, I yeah, I don't understand it. Yeah, it's growing up on the res. You know, we were we were out in the country and just yeah. living the like. I wouldn't trade my childhood for anything. Uh, you know, we we grew up in a hut house. Um, the garden was huge, and I had all the woods a kid could want. So I would just the end of May or halfway through May, I'd go out into the woods and I won't be back till August. You know, it was just so much fun out there. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Did you have a partner in crime that you were out doing stuff with? For a while, my sister, um, when she sort of got old enough to sort of want to hang out with me. And then as she got into uh, middle school, then she was too cool for me. So, uh, for, for a short time, I take it back. My, my cousin, Eric, uh, my cousin, Eric and I, we, we, uh, had a lot of adventures in those woods. 
So he's, he's my younger brother in a sense, you know, uh, our dads are brothers, but we grew up together. So he's my little brother. Um, I appreciate you saying that about your sister hitting middle school. Cause I had a similar, uh, thing going on with my brother. Uh -huh. like he got to a certain age and then it was just all like, no, oh, sorry. I can't be seen with you anymore. You know, like, <laughs> like, um, yeah. Yeah. Cause <laughs> it, was, it was heartbreaking. Well, I was going to say too, about so with the, with the opportunities, the question, um, the other one is with, with that, like one of the things that, um, Earl Hoagland used to talk to me about was that, um, you know, what, you know, we, 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 we come, we, we come here and we have this purpose, you know, that we're, that we're, that we're to, you know, we've come here with a, you know, a reason for, and that, and so, and the reason why I wanted to talk about this piece was, is like, you know, I, I am who I am for a reason, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm crane clan, um, and I'm two spirited and I'm light skinned. And I'm and I'm living in this nearly entirely non-native community. Um, I work in a in a building where it's nearly entirely you know non-natives, and um, and I'm light-skinned. And it's like it's like what are you know what is that combination? You know, like what you know I came here for a purpose, so that's like there isn't anything about me that's a mistake you know so it's like what how do all those pieces mash together and fit together and and it's you know i've come to understand it's like you know i'm i'm in a position to speak for those who aren't able to speak for themselves that's very much you know, like that the crane clan being a speaker for the people to the you know outside community you know and um i often find myself in positions where i'm advocating for natives in a room full of people that aren't even considering what the native you know you know how the native view is on you know some policy that's being said and um and then the other thing that but but coupled with that is you know earl would also say is that you know we the the, the greatest thing that we have is the right to make our own choices so it doesn't really matter um you know like i can I can feel like, you know, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is, you know, I have have this list of all these things that I'm supposed to be doing, but still, you know, as something comes to me, like every single time I get the right to choose if I'm going to pick that up or not, you know, and then he would also say um, things like, um, you know, whatever it is that my life is meant to be, you know, it'll come to me. You know, like those things are, you know, like it, so I've kind of developed this attitude. It's like, you know what the, I know, I know on a day by day by day by day basis, you know, what it is that, you know, how I want to fill my life. And, um, and I, and I know that I want it to be filled with celebration and joy and, and all of that. So, um, so when I talk about going out and searching for these opportunities to exhibit and to, you know, grow a career for, for my husband and I, really, I still still have the idea that, you know, the things that are supposed to come to us will come to us, you know, that that's, I have, I have a, I have a conviction and a belief in that. Um, I know that, or I should say, I believe I don't have any, you know, I don't have any, uh, I don't know, I don't have any gifts that tell me what the future are going to be. But I, I believe that um, I kind of have this idea that there's going to be a day where I'm going to be able to spend every 
Tuesday evening from 4 to 8 p.m. sitting in a village, you know, it's White Earth and Ogama is where I grew up. I'd kind of like it to be one of those villages, but I'd like to be just just there every day um, or every every Tuesday with the door open and be there and be doing cool work and anybody who wants to come in, especially kids. You know, I really focused on kids, but, you know, somebody older wants to come in too. I'm not going to say no, but I just want to be there. And so people can just walk in the door and pick things up and work on something, you know, and um, because I really, uh, I just felt like it was, there were so many hurdles to get over to be able to go learn how to make a quill box. And I'd like to make that a little easier for somebody else, you know, and um, that's, you know, and it's, it's like, where, you know, I, I have um, people that I work with and, and one of them, she said to me a couple of years ago, she's like, so when you, when you retire, you know, do you want to, do you want to travel to Hawaii? You want to go to Paris? You want to, you know, and I'm like, no, I'd kind of like to just go, go around visiting elders. You know, I'd like to just go, you know, <laughs> you know, I want to have the time to just, you know, go hang out and, you know, and, you know, and chop wood and you know and haul water for somebody or you know i don't know um help them go get groceries if that's what they need to do you know and 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 have the time to be able to just sit in a real casual way you know teach quill work um when you talked about you know like influences in a person's life it's like i spent a lot of years in uh 12-step meetings and the thing i learned from 12-step meetings is like that door has got to be open when you say it's going to be open. You know, like it's, if, if, if you said 7 PM on a Saturday, that one time somebody works their nerve up to go and the door is locked, they're not coming back again. You know, they, they tried once and that they're not doing it again, you know? And, and I feel like, you know, if I'm going to offer, um, you know, something for the community and I don't, you know, um, I'm hoping that, you know, um, I'll be in a position where I can just do that because that's what I love to do. I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not framing this as, you know, like, oh, this is going to be my next job or, you know, something like that. I'm hopefully I'll be able to, and I know you can see my air quotes, but hopefully I'll be able to afford to support myself and go offer that as a, a gift to my community. Um, so, but yeah, opportunities. I, um, I'm, I'm like, how did that? Yeah. I'm like, how did that all come around to that? But that's the other thing is like, I, I feel like I'm building almost my artistic resume now so that at some point in the future, when I'm able to sit down and do that, somebody will be like, well, what makes you think that you have something to offer? And it's like, well, here, if you really need to see the paperwork, here's the, here's the list of boxes I've made and exhibits I've shown, you know, it's like, that's, um, maybe that's, maybe that's has to do with the influence of where I live and work now, but I, I find that I'm often required to provide documentation to prove that, um, what I'm saying or what I'm offering has validity. Maybe that's, maybe that's not so much native as it is, has to do with this non-native world that I live in so much of the time. I find a lot of that in the sort of the museum, arts world as well because everyone wants to see the cv you know what's what's your cv what's mm. your biography and mm-hmm. you know it's knowing mm. elders as i do um knowing uh, traditional people 
some of the the biggest experts and the authority, if that's a good word, on our culture don't have any sort of uh, educational paperwork. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's um, something some of the elders used to say as well. You know, I have my PhD in life, you know, and it's the mm-hmm. it's the academics that seek them out to write their papers, you know, and I th- think there's there's something to that. Yeah. Um, and I've been, I don't, um, I don't know if I'll ever be able to achieve this and I don't, um, there's certain things that like, I want to, I'd be willing to help organize, you know, that, that piece where it's like, there's a place for somebody to come and learn all the time. This other piece, like, I just want to be able to go and I'm hoping somebody else will organize it, but I would really like to, you know, a couple times a year, be able to show up someplace where people who work with birch bark are they're doing that like i you know to just be able to sit down and visit and um i've met really beautiful bark workers um carrie um oh no i can't think of her last name right now um she was showing her work out of the watermark and you know just started talking to her about some of the struggles I was having with, you know, putting together um, some things. And she just had very generous, like, Oh, this is what she does. This is what she, you know, and, and um, conversations with Betsy May, she um, doesn't do um, quill boxes, but she's done, you know, a world of, you know, birch bark work with um, doing uh, quill work on barrettes and earrings and, you know, medallions and those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, I being able to get together with people who do bark work. Um, Sharon Nordrum is another one. Uh, you know, the the generosity of people just being able to sit and visit about what they do and what they love uh, would be. I would love to be able to do that. What would you say to the eighteen to twenty two year old listening to this conversation? You know, I think there's a lot of value in. Um, I was just thinking, it's like, it was interesting when I listened to um, Joy Harjo's um, podcast that on, on your website, um, she was like, well, it depends on, you know, it depends on the 18 or 22 year old. So I guess what I when I originally heard the question, I assumed we were talking about, you know, native, native young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and more specifically, you know, if it's, if it's an Ojibwe young person, um, you know, the value of language um that's also one of my you know the the things that kind of you know burn through me is like i really want to learn how to speak um ojibwe and um become more fluent and i'm not at all fluent i don't know why i put it that way but to have more of an understanding of the ojibwe language because what's in that language is like when i found out that um you know i've got this obsession about uh, foods and medicines, you know, that, that are out there. And when I found out uh, just eight years ago that, you know, we use the word mushkaki to describe medicine all the time. And the mushkaki being, a lot of times I hear people talking about, you know, they're talking about, you know, what is that plant medicine that, you know, you need to go get or whatever, that, you know, go, that plant medicine that you can use as medicine for yourself. So that mushkaki, um, I heard um, Bob Shimmick in a workshop that I was at, he's, you know, he was like, Oh, you know, mushkaki, that's, um, 
literally the 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 two words put together you know it's strength strength from the earth and that just like it changed everything about how I, you know, and, and now like I have this visual of, you know, like that plant just pulling the strength out of the earth and then that plant coming to me and being the thing that, you know, helps me heal or helps me get better. So, um, and so that's, that's one of the things it's like, you know, like I think that we would all have our own places where, you know, if we're learning our traditional languages that will have those moments where it's like, you know, it creates a, cultural understanding that we didn't have before because we it just you know it's so hard to articulate in english i feel like i'm tripping all over trying to say that <laughs> i'm just trying to explain it um but you know the other things are in um i feel like um when we know ourselves we're more able to um uh, figure out what you know I don't know. One of the things I think about with artwork is it's like, um, well, it, actually with anything, but it's like, I'm always having to evaluate, you know, whether or not this thing that's coming towards me, is that an opportunity or is it a distraction? You know, it's like, and then when I'm able to put it through the lens of who I am, what I believe my purpose to be. And then it's like, oh no, that's clearly a distraction. Let it go, let it pass by. Or that's, that's the opportunity that, you know, we, I've been waiting for. So, you know, and, and, and how do we know ourselves? You know, let's say, you know, getting, getting our Indian names, finding out what our clans are, you know, you know, all of those things, um, accessing, you know, if, if that's, if that's what calls you even, you know, accessing ceremony in a way to look for that. Um, and then, yeah, where's that lightning in your life? You know, where is that thing that, you know, you, you're so drawn to something that it lights you up, you know, go after that thing that that's that to me, that's how we tell, you know, what's there for us. You know, those are the things that are, are really exciting to us. And, um, and also to, you know, I, I talk about my, my obstinacy, but one of the ways that my obstinacy shows up is like, I feel comfortable resisting, what do you call it? Resisting the crowd. Like I don't, I don't feel the need to, um, be doing something because it's someone else's opinion about what I should do. And I would, I would go so far as to say, um, I felt criticized in, in some aspects. Um, I've heard different people commenting from time to time, you know, and it's, I suppose it's that thing where it's like, you know, oh, 150 people can say something really, you know, that they just love everything about my quill work and my quill boxes. But I've heard this little, one little tiny thing and I just let it great and great and great on me, you know, but I've heard these little things. And one of them is that, you know, I should move faster. I should set my quills more quickly. I should, you know, find find techniques to, you know, get my hands to move faster and to, you know, make produce more quickly. And and from a different person, um, kind of more of a sideways thing, but it's like, you know, um, you know, how that when, when there is another artist in your life, you know, the Rick's work will be more interesting to be exhibited because he's more prolific and he's always putting out, you know, a lot more work in a shorter period of time. And, you know, so that idea that I'm, you know, it's like, I can take me a hundred hours to make a single quill box. So it's like, I, you know, the, the, I also, I also work a full-time job. You know, I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't have eight hours a day just to work on doing quill boxes all the time. So, um, but what I've, so I've taken that all in and, 
in a very two-spirited manner. Um, I've, I've just flipped that, you know, it's like that. Now it's very uh, significant to me that I create slow art. You know, that's how I describe my work is that it's slow art. It's very intentional. Each, you know, um, I'm actually the way I was, one of the original ways that I was taught to do quill work was that we would, you know, once the quills have been soaked and are pliable enough to work that, you know, you hold the ones that you're going to use next in your mouth. And, and I do do that, but I found that I'm, I've slowed down so much that they're starting to dry out even as I'm holding them. So I can only hold one at a time. So I'm holding that single quill and then getting ready to place it. So, um, so that's, that's part of my resisting the crowd. It's like, you know, take, take what is, you know, take what is yours and really make it yours. You know, make that, that's what's, that's, what's really unique about each, every one of us. And, um, you know, and then, and I don't know, I just want to mention again, it's like the, the quill, these little quill box canisters that I did, I've gotten really obsessed with like putting a lot of quills on. So like there's very little birch bark being shown and, um, the, the edging on those quill boxes is every, every sidewall is different. They all have their own different patterns in there. And I feel like that's, um, you know, that really comes from um, my two-spiritedness is, is amplifying that, but I feel it's very Ojibwe too. It's very native that, you know, each of us is so very different and we're supposed to be, right? We're, we're, not, we're not meant to all be cookie cutter, you know, um, people. So let's have some, you know, appreciation for what those differences are in each other. So that's the, you know, that's the thing for the, the 18 to 22 year old is, you know, like what's, what's really unique about yourself and celebrate that, you know, you know, feel the, feel the joy of, you know, what that difference is. Um, and then, you know, I would go further and I would, so one of the lessons I learned, um, I had the good fortune. I always talk about it this way. I had the really, really good fortune in my twenties um, to work with some really wealthy people. I, I worked for, uh, as a secretary in a couple of real estate companies. And, um, so I'd come from such extreme poverty growing up on the reservation. And now I was working with these people that to me seemed to have unimaginable wealth and that, that, you know, like one person even came from a banking family, you know, like, so as this bank had been in their family for generations, you know, so that, so that to me, that seemed like, you know, unimaginable, you know, like generations of wealth, you know, mm -hmm. and I call it my good fortune to have worked with those people because I found out pretty quickly that wealth was not a path to happiness. The, these people were very unhappy and, um, and I'm, and I feel really fortunate to, you know, found that out really early that I didn't have to be uh, chasing money, you know, to, to try to be, to live well, living well is about, you know, and, and that was something for my mom too, though, you know, living well is about enjoying your life and being happy with, you know, with yourself. So, um, I would say, you know, we're native people, so there may be trauma, you know, seek healing for trauma, get that, get that, get that taken care of. Um, and that's a lifelong deal. It's not something, you know, you just 
check into a therapist's office for two years and you're done. That's, you know, that, that can be an ongoing issue, but take care of trauma um, and resist the crowd. And also I would say um, the other thing I saw in those, in that office when I was working in that real estate company was, so realtors are working on commission all the time. So that seems similar to artists to me. You know, you never, maybe you don't know where your next check is coming from all the time. Um, and these, when a person had a side job that was paying the electricity, keeping the groceries coming in, and they had transportation, you know, like, so your basic necessities are being met, or they had a partner or somebody in their life that was covering those bills and they could do real estate full time or whatever their deal was, those people seem to be a little bit more sane and stable and functioning on a fairly sane level, right? People who were like, they were trying to live exclusively on their real estate commissions and it had been eight months since they'd had a check, they were going wonky. They were like doing unethical stuff. They were like kind of losing it. And, um, so I, I kind of, I brought that forward into, you know, my day-to-day -day life and thinking about, you know, um, how my husband and I function as artists. Um, we, we have the, we have the luxury of, you know, um, my income is able to cover those bills and, you know, do all of that. And so he's able to help us do more of our seasonal living things. So like we, I can get off from work and we can head straight out to the woods and, you know, go gathering um, whatever it is is in season. Like we have the time to go do that because um, I'm, I'm going to, you know, hit the 40 hour a week job and then he's got the time to do the extra stuff. But on the other hand, that also, he really is dedicated to making sure that on my off, you know, my off time that I've, I've got the time that I need to do my artwork. You know, like he's, we support each other in that way, I guess. So um, I guess my message then to the 18 to 22 year old is, you know, don't, don't be a starving artist, you know, don't, or don't starve. I mean, if you can find a way to make a living at it, that's awesome. But um, watch out for desperation, you know, watch out for getting put in a position that's going to cause you to compromise your own ethics. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm making quill boxes that I love. I'm making art that I love and I'm, I'm not having to depend on it for a living. So I don't feel like I'm just churning out, churning out, churning, you know, I, I, um, yeah, I don't, wealth isn't happiness. Desperation is ugly. Avoid desperation. Where can the listener uh, find your work, uh, be able to connect with you if they need to? Um, so I don't have a website yet. It's on my to-do list. So I do have a Facebook page, which is um, Kagegebe Quill Boxes. Um, and I do have um, what I call my three mini quill box canisters um, will be shown at the um, Contemporary Indigeneity show coming up in April um, at Great Plains Art Museum in, um, is that the University of Nebraska? 
Yep, down in Lincoln. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Um, yeah, that was that was a shot in the dark. I was like, well, Penny, thank you so much for for being on the program. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much, Joe. You're so very kind. Thank you. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Penny again for her time and sharing her story with us. My interactions with her over the last several years has just been a joy. Uh, her her birchbark uh, quill boxes and the work that she creates is really something to behold. So I encourage you to check out her her Facebook page and to always just sort of follow her and see what she's doing because there's, there's a lot of good work that she's doing. And she's really just super nice to to work with and i really enjoy talking with her so that being said she's going to be an instructor uh, for the northern plains summer art institute in 2022 and so our students are going to have a really fun really engaging instructor and i'm really looking forward to that experience so penny thank you for this conversation and i look forward to uh, the work we're doing this summer i also want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please, join us next time as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Kana, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists, across social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc., and at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. If you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please reach out to me and let me know. I'd really like to hear from you. All right, you take care and we will see you next time. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.